Today's reading is called Ramadan by Kazim Ali. You wanted to be so hungry you would break into branches and have to choose between the starving months 19th, 21st, and 23rd evenings. The liturgy begins to echo itself. And why does it matter? If the groundwater is too scarce, one can stretch nets into the air and harvest the fog. Hunger opens you to illiteracy. Thirst makes clear the starving pattern. The thick night is so quiet, the spinning spider pauses. The angel stops whispering for a moment. The secret night could already be over. You will have to listen very carefully. You are never going to know which night's mouth is sacredly reciting and which night's recitation is secretly mere wind. <sighs> it's good again to be together. I don't know if you all ever just scroll through the gallery screen, but sometimes it feels like, at least in this moment, with being right here, right now, live at the mercy of spectrum and technology, talking to all of you, I can almost imagine you all in your seats in the congregation. It is something that I certainly miss dearly. I want to take us on a little trip briefly, ever so ever so briefly, to the streets of Istanbul and Konya, to the small villages of Cappadocia, small villages in the arid lands of central part of Turkey. On those streets and in those villages and in those tiny, tiny, tiny towns, there was an inescapable presence. Five times a day, a voice would ring out from the minarets of mosques. Some of them elaborate, well-known mosques like the Blue Mosque in Istanbul, and some of them really small, tiny, almost like those one-room chapels you see throughout the rural areas of Kentucky that serve villages and farmlands. People would go to the mosques at the sound of the call. Shopkeepers would go to the back of their stores. Sometimes people would take to prayer right in the streets. Five times a day, the call to prayer. Watching the ritual motions of Islamic prayer were beautiful in their way, if not haunting in their rhythm. It's the same feeling I have when I see a crowd uh, at St. Peter's uh, making the sign of the cross all at once or the bowing of heads in unison in prayer. Communal ritual, even in small acts such as those for me, strike at something deeper. And not just the movements, but the visual or audio cues leading up to them. If I were to suddenly blurt out in nomine patris to everyone here, those of you that are former Catholics, some of you would be ready to go through the motions right now. It is almost an instinctual act. And in majority Islamic nations, the call to prayer from the minarets sends out a crystal clear reminder. And I, when I was there, it felt like it was just after 4 a.m. sometime when we would get that first reminder 
every single morning. We don't really hear calls from a minaret often in the United States, unless you happen to live in Dearborn, Michigan, where one of the largest mosques are, uh, is. The ones we hear are the beautiful polished ones, often in documentaries, or if we were to look them up on YouTube, those calls to prayer. But in the small, tiny villages of Cappadocia, the Imam was often an elderly man who had served in that position for many, many years. So sometimes there'd be a hacking and coughing in the middle of the call to prayer. It was human, it was flawed, and yet it was still intriguing. Have you ever witnessed a gathering of Muslims preparing for prayer? The ablutions with water, the methodical gathering, and then it begins. Movements of hands and legs, the bowing, the turning side to side, greet the angels, and then life goes back to the daily rush. The way I speak of it is almost romantic, but it isn't. It's real and represents the corporate practice of a major world religion. A flawed religion, but a beautiful one. One that has had its own struggles with fundamentalism, its own struggles with humanity. Just as those who leave Christianity in our culture look back with reservation, those who leave Islam in their culture do as well. There's something interesting about being in a modern Islamic nation such as Turkey, though sadly a lot of that is no more due to the increasingly undemocratic rule of Erdogan. But at the time I was there, I felt the country was at a crossroads. Public displays of piety in the form of headscarves, sometimes traditional Islamic clothing for men, public prayer, calls to prayer, people wearing evil eyes, which was more of a Turkish and Mediterranean tradition than an Islamic one. Um, even people just sitting with Islamic prayer beads on the side of the road or reading the Quran. A lot of that evaporated in the evenings. The headscarves would become just scarves. The prayer beads were put away. The beers were poured. The cigars were lit. Nightly games of backgammon down random Istanbul alleyways allowed locals to practice their English with me and my friends. And we would get to talking as they smoked their cigarettes or cigars, ordered more beers, bet money on backgammon and I was not a fool. I bet very little because the locals always won. The conversation would turn to deeper topics. It's often the religious. What was our religion as Americans? And well, what was theirs? Now, try describing Unitarian Universalism in Turkey. <laughs> it is a nearly impossible task. And so for many people, I was just a Protestant and that was okay. And despite the stereotype of no alcohol in all Muslim majority nations, here it was a little different. And despite that, they would still say that they were without question Muslim. We would keep talking and eventually I asked, I would bring it up, what about Ramadan? And that is where the conversation shifted. Ramadan was different. Ramadan was when they would give up their vices. Ramadan was a time that mattered. Of course, I could never tell anyone's sincerity, nor was it really my job to. But the tone of the conversation was interesting. 
back home, I had close relationships with the Muslim Student Association. I was a part in college and student government that helped with the religious life. So naturally I would show up to nearly every event, help with funding, set up everything. And a whole crew of us from Protestant or Catholic backgrounds decided one year to practice Ramadan in solidarity with our Muslim friends. Now, not one of us lasted more than three days of no food or drink besides water from sunup to sundown. And it just so happened that this particular Ramadan we tried to practice was in the bright days of spring. So there was a lot of sun in between. Our friends, of course, laughed at us, appreciating the gesture, but pointing out very clearly that we did not grow up with such intense fasting and even for converts to Islam, they often ease into the practice. We were eager and we were convinced we would somehow cure the divide with Muslim Americans in our nation with this solidarity. At that time, George W. Bush was still the president. But I like to think back to that experiment of Ramadan, to those times in Istanbul streets or hearing the call to prayer right outside my window. Literally, the minaret was right there at 4 a.m. in a village whose name is lost to memory. I think of it every time Ramadan comes bounding along a holy month that I mentally keep track of, though my courage to participate has never returned. Islam is a religion with a great deal of spiritual discipline. Prayer five times a day, a month of fasting, along with so many other, other expectations that give shape to the Islamic way of life. But Ramadan fascinates me. The closest thing many of us can lift up is the Christian season of Lent, though even Catholics gave up the majority of fasting during that season a long time ago. But in its original incarnation, it was a month of sacrifice in order to remind oneself of ideas, ideals, and beliefs larger than any individual. Part of me wonders, and this is of course speculation, if Ramadan will ever end up like Lent being a mostly optional month where I could give up, oh, let's see, a very specific brand of Japanese candy, something that I haven't eaten, eaten since high school, but I'll give it up anyway. I can give up that no problem. Or people give up coffee when they're tea drinkers, white chocolate when they only prefer dark. I digress, but you see where I'm going. Ramadan is a month of continual reflection as it is right now on the divine on the revelation of the Quran, the prophet Muhammad and being Muslim. It's a time of sacrifice and discipline, but it's also a month of intense joy for many Muslims. There's a nightly breaking of the fast with family or friends. There's the Eid al-Fitr to look forward to, the final breaking of the fast with great celebration and joy. And if you've never been invited to an Eid celebration, it is an absolute delight. At its heart, what we're talking about here is what many call spiritual discipline. And that word is a lot, discipline. And for me, I find the word practice works just as well. And for many of us, it leads to a question about what exactly is spiritual discipline? We can no doubt name quite a few of them. Contemplative prayer, prayer beads, meditation, chanting, yoga, mindful movement, setting intention, visualization, fasting, making art or music, or just being in the natural world. And the list could go on for anything. 
But for me, I find it's less about whatever the word spiritual means to, to anyone and more about being mindful in your actions, mindful practice. And I feel that's as good a term as we can get for a community such as ours. For Muslims starting tomorrow evening, a month of mindful practice will unfold. They will fast recognizing each time they feel the pangs of hunger that they are in service to a movement greater than themselves but also to foster compassion for those who, who feel those pangs of hunger every single day of their lives. And for that reason, their giving and volunteering ideally increases in some way during Ramadan. All the while there are the simple meals to start the day, to break the fast, the usual daily prayers, and Muslims are also encouraged to read the entire Quran in 30 days. And sometime, in the last 10 days of Ramadan is also what's called the night of power or the night of decree, essentially the night when Muhammad received his first revelation. And the Quran speaks to such a night. It says, indeed, it is we who have sent this Quran down from on high on the night of power. And do you realize what is the night of power? The night of power is better than a thousand months. Therein do the angel do the angels and the angel Gabriel descend by the permission of their Lord with every divine commandment. Peace it is till the rise of dawn. Many believe that night above all other nights is one of deep spiritual reflection. Forgiveness is available to all and it sounds really intense, but it also celebrates the beginning of a worldwide community story. And I just love that language. Better than a thousand months. What in your life is better than a thousand months? Ramadan is a time carved out as holy, a time for mindful practice. And again, though, for most of us as outsiders to that religious tradition, looking at a practice such as this can take on a romantic tone. But have no illusions about it. What was just described is the ideal, and that is the truth with any mindful practice. We dedicate ourselves to, some of you dedicate to prayer, and you choose prayer so that you can cultivate a deeper relationship with your understanding of the divine. And then sometimes you find it becomes a nightly therapy session with yourself. Or we create or buy uh, some form of prayer beads, I'm sure anyone who has Catholic family has that one aunt who's always saying the rosary. And you start off simple, like, for example, this Buddhist mala. You might choose something like, I don't know, the the the, the gate gate para gate para sam gate bodhisvaha. You might try to go through that, trying to increase your sense of mindfulness. And then of course the mantras get shorter. And suddenly you're just going through the the prayer beads, not really thinking of what your original intention was. Maybe you'll dedicate yourselves to a dose of nature every day in whatever way is right for you, but then it rains and then it's not your favorite temperature or maybe you get swept up in the demands of productivity. You can see where this is going. Mindful practice is idyllic when we get to observe it. But when we take the plunge ourselves, it's a winding narrow path on a mountainside. The switchbacks are many, finding ourselves returning to similar places again and again and out of breath. And removing the poetry from this, mindful practice can be quite difficult. 
whether it's meditation or prayer or prayer beats or just taking a hike. And we would fool ourselves if we didn't think Muslims worldwide have their own struggles with their mindful practice, with daily calls to prayer or Ramadan. A beloved friend of mine from college who was from Iran would sneak Oreo cookies every day during the month of Ramadan. And she would do it in front of me knowing I wouldn't tell her family or friends or parents, but she said it was a struggle for her many times to practice. We carve out holy hours, days, weeks, months, and while that time does remain holy or sacred or special, we stumble and figure out our way through. What Ramadan teaches me is that first, just because it's a month of great meaning for the massive community of Muslims in our world, it doesn't mean it's the right practice for me. I see its beauty, I see the discipline, and I see the intentional practice. I can celebrate that. I can share in the joy of my Muslim friends. And second, in sharing in someone else's joy, I am invited to discover what mindful practice looks like for me. If I were tasked to create a Unitarian Universalist month of intentional practice, what would that look like? How would it sustain and uplift UU's nationwide while also reminding all who participate of their connection to something bigger than themselves, of movement of free thinkers with a unique shared history, uniting behind values of dignity, justice, compassion, and wholeness, would you use even participate in such a thing? Now, I don't have answers to those questions, but it's actually kind of fun to think through it. What would a UU month of intentional mindful practice look like? Because what comes out of such a reflection is a deeper understanding of what matters most to me and of what matters most to you, of what mindful practice as a Unitarian Universalist looks like in our daily lives. When I think of my own mindful practice, it's surely different than some of your own answers. I draw great value out of the world religious scriptures our world has to offer, past, present, and those rediscovered. I find the commitment to those books of scripture, to questions of ultimacy and meaning, to be a celebration of humanity. And so I read them to sustain my hope in humanity or to try to sustain it. I meditate regularly in the Rinzai Zen fashion, not because it's better than other types of meditation, but because for me, it helps me see our UU values in history in a new way. Suddenly our values are not dried ink on a paper, but companions for the journey. Emerson is not some distant ancestor, but an ancestor with who I can entangle my eyebrows as the saying goes in the gateless gate. I run and I hike because I need embodiment in the natural world. I light incense, I belt out hymns in the car. Sometimes I simply pause to look upward into the night sky and marvel at vast wonders or I look closer to the earth, the daffodil, the spider, the evening bats or the daytime blue jays in flight, the dog bounding along. Those are vast wonders too. Mindful practice is in many ways having the courage to be vulnerable with ourselves, to commit to a practice we might fail at quite gloriously, but try nonetheless. Or a practice we don't like, so we search for another. It's about connecting with a story, a community, a tradition we feel deeply a part of or that we want to grow with. As with Ramadan and the story of Islam and the revelation of the Quran, for us 
accompanying that courage, there's also grace, always grace. Ramadan might seem like an imposing monolith of mindful but dogmatic practice. And again, human beings have a way of thinking and being in absolutes. But the words that shape Ramadan, that give voice to us, provide a different way. From the surah in the Quran titled Al-Baqarah, the cow, here we hear about Ramadan. It was the month of Ramadan in which the Quran was first sent down as guidance for all people. So whoever among you bears witness to the month shall then fast. Yet if one among you is sick or on a journey, such a person shall then fast the same number of days. God intends for you ease and does not intend for you hardship. For Muslim siblings worldwide, there is that grace to practice with ease. And I would add joy and deep intention. And so for this whole month of Ramadan that will unfold before us, there's two invitations for all of us as Unitarian Universalists. First, I invite you to, well, if you don't know much about Islam, to dig a little deeper. Find out what is good and right and beautiful in this religious tradition celebrated by so many worldwide. But second, and as with all things, this is not a call to suddenly fast for a whole month unless you really want the challenge. And it will help you grow in your own life and your own mindful practice. But the invitation is instead to figure out what does mindful practice mean to you? What are you called to reflect on and be reminded of as a Unitarian Universalist right here, right now? And so may it be for all of you. Blessed be. Amen.